Turn your Bible, please, to Daniel, the third chapter. Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. If you were in Sunday school, this is very familiar to you. I want to speak this morning on He is able, strength for the laborer. He is able, strength for the laborer. This is Labor Day weekend, and we want to recognize with gratitude everybody who labors. And so, if you labor in some way, in a job, in a work, and the Bible says all the work is honorable, would you stand, please? If you labor in some type of work, would you stand, please? These are the laboring people, the workforce both in the office, in the schoolroom, in the jobs. And those who have worked but are retired, would you remain standing now, please, just a moment. Those who have worked but are retired now, would you stand with these? There are several others. May God bless you. Remain standing a moment. I want to have prayer with you as we stand. We honor you. We salute you. The Bible says that work is honorable. All work is honorable. And the scripture says, if we don't work, we don't eat. And we thank the Lord for the workforce of America. Let me say this too. Those who work in the homes, like are a housewife, you stand by your husband or something, or you stand too. Uh, they work. They are labor force also. That's right. All right. Now let's pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for these who are standing. And of course, we thank You for these who are seated, representing many young people and representing others who are not able to work. And Lord, we just salute with gratitude these who are the labor, work force of our nation. We thank You for their ministry in offices, in executive places, in schoolrooms, in factories, out on the streets, in the stores, all the places where we work. We thank you, Father, for the work ethic that is in the Scripture. We thank you that thou hast given us the strength to labor. We know that from thee comes every good and perfect gift, including our jobs. And Father, we recognize that a number of the people standing here today and some who listen by radio have earnestly sought in prayer for you to give them the job they have. We thank you for that answer to prayer. Speak to our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Would you be seated please. Daniel chapter 3 verses 16, 17, and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. 
Verse 17, you might underscore this phrase, our God whom we serve is able. Our God whom we serve is able. You're familiar with the story. Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed an unusual dream. He couldn't remember what he dreamed, and so he called all the wise men, astrologers, and so on together and said, I want you to tell me what I dreamed or else you'll die. Well, they didn't know how to do that. But the word came to Daniel. And Daniel had already purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was God's servant in a very special way. And he came to the king and he said, O king, there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And Daniel told the dream to the king, and then he gave the interpretation. Dan, the, the dream had been of a great image. The head of it was gold, and it was a depicting of the great world empires until the end of the age. Well, in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar was sort of filled with pride. And Daniel had gone off to another area of the kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar decided to build a great image on the plains of Dura and make that a gold image since his head, since the head of that dream image was of gold and it represented the kingdom of Babylon. He decided, I'll just have a kingdom that will last. And remember that at that time, Nebuchadnezzar was king of the world. We do not know anything about that kind of thing today. The closest we can get to it is what Adolf Hitler tried to accomplish in World War II. He wanted to be emperor of the world, king of the world. He was cut short. But at that time, Nebuchadnezzar was king of the world. The whole world was under the Babylonian press. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had this image of gold built out on the plains of Dura, which was a, lo a, a long, wide plain that stretched from horizon to horizon. And as far away as you could see, you could see this huge image. And then he made an edict that when the musical instruments began to play, everybody would have to come and bow before this image because he wanted one world religion. We know that this is a prophecy of that which will come to pass in the end days when there will be a world religion. And according to Revelation 13, the false prophet will cause all the nations and all the peoples of the world to bow before the, the, the world government, beast, antichrist, there will be a union between the world government and the world church. We will not deal with that this morning. But this is a prophecy of that which is to come. Well, there were three men in the kingdom who would not bend and they would not bow. And later God saw to it that they would not burn. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was their godly name from Jerusalem. Those names were changed to pagan names in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were told that you must bow before this image. And they said, we're not going to do it. They didn't do it. And Nebuchadnezzar gave them a second chance. And the words we read in the scripture were their response to the second chance that Nebuchadnezzar had given them. <clears throat> he said, now when all these musical instruments begin to play, you bow down and worship. If you do not, 
will cast you into a fiery furnace. And the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was simply this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And then they said, and he will deliver us from thine hand, O king. In other words, whatever happens, we're not going to be in your hand. You may cast us in the fiery furnace, but that isn't because you have that power. God will permit it. He's going to deliver us out of your hand. We're not going to be under your authority. Now, God is able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace. And our God will deliver us out of your hand. But if he doesn't deliver us out of the fiery furnace, just know this. We're not going to bow nor worship before your golden image. Now, as we think of this, and we've already discussed this in the Sunday school time, I'd like for us to take that phrase, God is able. Our God is able. Our God is able. Will you say that with me? Our God is able. And no matter what comes in our lives, whether it's the fiery furnace, or some affliction of trial, or some very severe difficulty, if you're God's child, our God is able to deliver you from that trial. But he may not do it. But know this, that our God is able to put us in his hand, and no matter what we go through, we're not in the hand of the trial, we're not in the hand of circumstance, we're not in the hand of the world, we're in God's hand. And our God is able. This weekend we observe Labor Day. Labor Day always, Labor Sunday always precedes Labor Day, which is the first Monday in September. Has been since 1869, five years after the Civil War. Labor Day is an attempt to recognize in this nation that was built on biblical principles that labor and work is of God. It is always honorable to work. And though we live in an age that has sometimes set aside the work ethic and said it's all right to live off of other people, nonetheless, the Bible tells us that if we don't work, we don't eat. It is God's plan for us to work in whatever, whatever area God gives us to work. Some in engineer rooms as electrical engineers or planning or inventing or discovering. Some in offices of government. Some as salesmen. Some in shops. Some in businesses. Some in stores. Some working with their hands mechanically. Some out on the streets, sweeping the streets. Some teaching in the classroom. It is all honorable. And our God is able to enable us in it all. Several people have said some outstanding things concerning labor, and I want to mention some of these. Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain of the Senate, prayed a prayer that was copied because it was so simple and yet so eloquent. Lord Jesus, bless all who serve us, who have dedicated their lives to the ministry of others, all the teachers of our schools who labor so patiently with so little appreciation, all who wait upon the public, the clerks in the stores, 
who have to accept criticism, complaints, bad manners, selfishness at the hands of a thoughtless public. Bless the mailmen, the drivers of streetcars and buses who must listen to people who lose their tempers. Bless every humble soul who in these days of stress and strain preaches sermons without words. Rufus Jones had this to say, the sweeper of the city street who sweeps in the dark corner where no inspector comes simply because it is his business to have the streets clean has a touch of consecration in him. The lighthouse keeper who rose our night after night to the lonely rock, though he knows that for weeks together no ship goes by his coast, and who does it because he has counted on for that is in the same list. The shoemaker in the little island town who makes an honest shoe for some unknown customer across the world and who feels the sacredness of his work is in his humble way consecrated. The scientist who counts nothing too hard in his unwearied struggle to win one more secret from the unknown that he may add it to the slowly growing total of human knowledge is to be enrolled among those who are consecrated. The daughters who smother all their personal dreams to care for an invalid mother or a widowed father. The reformer who spends his days studying the slums that he may hasten the day when there shall be no more slums. The Christian teacher who counts no obstacle too difficult if so by it he may one more person enter into the real meaning of the love of Christ. All these are examples of consecration. And somebody unknown wrote this. The lazy and idle seldom, seldom hear the call of God. It is often when intent on some useful work and while pursuing a helpful calling that God's voice is heard. Moses was busy with the flock at Horeb. Gideon was busy threshing wheat by the wine press. Saul was busy searching for his father's lost asses. Elisha was busy following with 12 yoke of oxen. David was busy caring for his father's sheep. Nehemiah was busy bearing the king's wine cup. Amos was busy caring for his sheep and sycamore fruit and attending the market. Peter and Andrew were busy casting their nets into the sea. Lydia was busy preparing and selling her purple fabrics. James and John were busy mending their nets. Matthew was busy collecting custom duties. Mary and Elizabeth were busy with their homecoming, homemaking. And only when we're busy can we hear the voice of God calling us to something that he wants us to do. And God is the enabler who enables us to do that which we think we cannot do, that which is beyond our own ability. And I want us to think, this morning, instead of exactly having a formal sermon, I want us to have a Bible study to see from the Scripture the things that God is able to do in all sorts of circumstances. Because you see, we're going to face trials and difficulties and hardships. And sometimes we're going to be in a labor force, whether it's in the office or the schoolroom or out in the streets or in the factory or wherever it is, that will try to squeeze us into the mold of the world and subtract from us Christian convictions and we're going to be susceptible to that unless we have already made up our mind that God is able to help us. And God is able. Those three Hebrew 
said to Nebuchadnezzar, if it, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up, because our God is able to help us. Now, God is able. The Bible tells us a number of things that God is able to do. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. This is from the ministry of John the Baptist. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say unto you, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now in this particular place, John the Baptist is hurling an important message to the Jews of his day who had come down to the Jordan to hear him preach. And they thought they'd just get in on it. Everybody else is getting in on it. And we want everybody to look up to us. And so they came down and were ready for baptism. And they'd made some kind of profession of faith. And John said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. We, and do not say in yourselves, we're good enough. We have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to bring up children unto Abraham. The point was, we cannot rest on our good works. We cannot rest on the things that we're able to do. We must trust the ability of God. God is able to do what we cannot do. These particular people were coming up and saying, well, Abraham is our father and we're all right. Uh, we're of the right lineage. We have the right parentage. We have the right blood in us. And we don't need anything else. And John is saying, you must depend upon the ability of God. It's not what you can do, but what God can do. It is not your works, but God's work in Jesus that makes the difference. God is able. And if we do not trust His ability, then our ability amounts to nothing. I want you to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Rather, verse 21, Romans chapter 4, verse 21. And here along the same line, the Apostle Paul is talking about what it means to be saved. And he is giving illustration after illustration about how God honors faith. God honors trust. It's not what we can do, but what He can do. God is able. And He begins to give the illustration of Abraham. And He says, you remember that Abraham was promised a son who was about 40 years old. And when he was 50, there was no son. 60, there was no son. 70, no son. 80, no son. 90, there was still no son. And God appeared to Abraham and said, you're still going to have a son. Sarah laughed. Abraham believed God. And the Bible says that belief was counted to him for righteousness. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. That sums up Abraham's life. He was fully persuaded that what 
what God had promised, God was able to perform. What has God promised you? What has God said to you? What has God called you to do? What does God want you to do? Sometimes in our work, we may become a little neurotic, paranoid. We may begin to think, well, I'm not able to do such and such a thing. I can't uh, make this business go like I once did, or I don't have the strength to do what I used to do, or I'm afraid that my job will be in jeopardy and all that. God is able, and He is able if you will lean upon His promises. Our God is able, and this is the theme all the way through the Scripture. We dare not trust in ourselves and the arm of flesh will fail us. But if we'll lean our arm on the windowsill of heaven and look into His face, we begin to feel the tide of His power and of His love come flowing into our hearts. And when it comes to the delicate and important matter of salvation, our salvation does not rest upon what we do, but what, on God, what, what Jesus did. And Abraham did not stumble or stagger at the promises of God. He accepted what God said, and he accepted the ability of God, and he accepted what God was able to do in the promises, and he just stood there. My God is able, and God did it. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may, be, uh, may abound to every good work. Now this is said in context with offerings, with what you give to the Lord. In the verse just before it, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. For God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You ever been stingy in your giving? You ever felt like, well, I know that I'm supposed to give God a tithe, 10%, but you know, God must have forgotten how many expenses I have. Why I have this problem and this problem, and I have this bill that I owe, and, and, and uh, I had an emergency come up, I had to buy a new tire, and I had this and this and this. God must have forgotten that, and so I'm just going to cheat on God a little bit. I wouldn't call it cheating. I just, uh, God will understand because He's so understanding, and I'm just going to take care of all these other things first, and I'll leave God out. Ever been tempted to do that? This scripture says God is able to make all grace abound in your life. That is, if you'll stay in touch with Him, you stay close to His heart, and you let Him speak to you, God is able to give you a willing heart, a joyful heart in what you give to Him. Because God is able to make all grace abound. You know, I'd rather be in debt a bank than I would be to God. I think I'd rather run the risk of owing several car payments and if necessary let them take the car back than for me to say, well, God is so understanding I won't give him anything at this time. Because that says something about our faith. You see, the Bible calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. We can see the banker. We can see the man that we owe the bills to. 
and it gives us jittery nervousness. Uh, we can't see God. And we sort of think, well, if I don't see him, it's not so bad. And so I'll take care of all these other things and I'll just leave God out. There's a peril in doing that. The peril of your own spiritual sluggishness. And when you believe, begin to treat God like that, then after a while, your closeness to Him, there's something gets between. There's a shadow. There's a block. And you don't feel that closeness. And pretty soon it's easier to walk away from Him. Pretty soon it's easier to walk further away. And you allow, you allow sin to get in the way. But this scripture says God is able. God is able to make all grace abound in you. That is the grace of giving. The grace of putting him first. The grace of faith. God is able. Look in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 24. Rather Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, God is able. Oh, listen. There isn't a thing that we can imagine or think about that God is not able and God is not equal to. He is equal to every one of these, these, these uh, trials that we face. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. God is able, and as we pray and bring to Him the matter of our studies in school, the matter of our burdens in the factory, the matter of our physical inabilities as far as our job is concerned, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Each person in this room faces some severe trials. Some of, it, some of the trials are financial. Hardly anybody in this room hasn't had some kind of financial burden or trial that you faced. This scripture says God is able. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust Him and obey Him. And when all these things come, all these burdens come, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I've seen this happen in my own life many, many times. I have a lot of, a lot of concern, Christian love for college students. I know some of the trials that I went through in going to college. I believe almost anybody can get a college education if you try, if you want it. I was very poor. I didn't realize that until I got in college and tried to, I didn't have any money to pay bills. Had several jobs going on at the same time. And worked as hard as I did, could, many hours as I could. I took in cleaning. I worked in a department store. I did various things on the campus. I still didn't have enough money. And one morning I needed $5 very, very severely. I asked God for it, just in simple childlike faith. I said, God, I need $5. It's a very pressing thing, and I must have it today. I didn't know where I'd get it. 
I, said, I, I worked in the cafeteria at school and I had to be there at 5.30 in the morning. And on the way, it was raining. I was walking to school. It was down in Jackson, Tennessee. I was walking to school and uh, I had this on my mind. I need $5. I need $5. I'd ask the Lord over and over again for it. And as I got to the corner just, just near the cafeteria, it was raining and I was looking down, sort of discouraged. And I saw something green on the ground. And I leaned down and there it was, $5. I picked that up and I looked over here and looked everywhere to see if somebody could have dropped it. I forgot my own need for just a minute, just to really be honest with you, I forgot I needed it. And I thought somebody had dropped it. I, I ran over to the cafeteria and I asked everybody that had gotten there before I did, did you lose $5? Now you don't usually do that. You, you'd say, have you lost any money? How much did you lose? But I didn't do that. I, I was so excited. I said, did you lose $5? Anybody I held it up? Nobody lost it. And I was just overcome. I went alone in the private, some private corner of that cafeteria and I got alone with God and said, God, thank you for the $5. God is able. There may be someone here passing through some extreme financial need right now. I want to tell you God is able. He is able to make all grace abound. And our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is able. Look in your Bible in Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. Verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from whence we also look for the great, the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You've got a body that's crippled. You've got some malady in your life. You've got something that's incurable and even now it's beginning to make itself known. You have some loved one that has some incurable illness. You have, you have to wear glasses that you don't like, like I do. I don't like glasses at all. You have some problem physical in your life. I want to tell you, this book says that there's coming a day when we're going to have a new body. And God is able to subdue all things unto himself, and he's going to give us a new body. We'll throw away our canes and wheelchairs and false teeth and glasses and all the rest of it, and we'll have a new body with the Lord. Our God is able. Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. For which cause I also suffer these things. This is Paul's testimony. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Some people question the eternal security of the believer. They say you've got to work. And if you don't keep on working, you're going to be lost after you're saved. Paul knew nothing of anything like that. Now, Paul had some problems in his life. Sometimes he was way up, sometimes he was way down. Sometimes he uh, was tempted, and so on. I don't think any of us could ever say that Paul was sinless. But in this scripture, he says, I have committed something to the Lord. I have committed the keeping of my soul to the Lord. I have made that a sacred trust, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. He is able. 
our salvation and the continuance of our salvation and our going to heaven when we die does not depend on how good we live or how many things we quit or how many other things we start. I am safe in Christ, saved forever by His blood. Once and for all, Christ died on the cross. And for me to be lost after I'm saved would mean for Christ to have to die again for my sins. And there'd have to be a continual reenactment of Calvary. And I submit to you, there is no such thing taught in the Bible. That's one of the problems I have with the Mass. The Mass is a reenactment of Calvary over and over again with the inference that if you don't come to that and partake of that, then you have no part in Christ and you cannot get to heaven. That's not taught in the Bible. Our, the Word of God says, He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. That's the reason those Hebrew children could say, our God is able. He can deliver us out of your hand. He can deliver us out of the fiery furnace. Our God is able. Turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. God's able to save whosoever will come. There's not one man, woman, boy, or girl who has gone so far away from God or gotten so much in the dregs of sin or who has allowed himself to be so defiled and so disgraced that he looks up and says, it's hopeless. I can never be any different. God can make you different. God is able to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. The adulterer, the whoremonger, the dope addict, the drunkard. God is able. That man who is so stuck in, on himself that he's a, a doubter or an agnostic or he calls himself an atheist. God is able. B.H. Carroll came out of the war. His dreams were crumbled. He was a cripple. He had been an atheist. Said he was an atheist. Didn't believe in anything. Somebody gave him a gospel message. He rejected it. He said, no, I don't need that. He turned it away. But that person came back to him again and again and again. He just gave him the word of God. Mr. Carroll said over and over again, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. But the word of God is like a rock, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And the word of God kept finding its... its mark in his heart and finally that atheism melted to agnosticism and he said well I don't know I don't know I don't know and finally that agnosticism melted to conviction and he became aware of his own sinful exceeding sinful degree before God and one day Mr. Carroll opened his heart to the Lord and God made all the difference in the world Jesus came in and he changed his ideas, his thinking. He changed everything about him. And Mr. Carroll is the one who started Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. God is able to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. He is able to meet your need where you are. 
He is, he is able to be to you all you need. And when we sing from time to time, Christ is all I need, all I need, all I need. That's true. Because Jesus is able. God is able. And whatever your work today, whatever your responsibility, whatever your job, remember that God is able. He's able to save those who are not saved. If you're here today and you've never been saved, God is able to save you. Just by putting your trust and faith in Jesus, he'll save you if you'll let him come into your heart and be to you his own, your own personal Savior. And if you are saved, listen to this. When you go through all the trials and the testings that are coming your way, God is able. Our God is able. And we need to remember always that we're not in the hand of the tester, the devil. We're not in the hand of men. We're not in the hand of our employer. We're not in the hand of society or of government. If you're saved today, you're in the hand of God. And that's what the Hebrew men were saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace. But know this, that God will deliver us out of your hand. So whatever happens to us, it's not because of you. God is permitting it. And if God doesn't let us out of the fiery furnace, God will go with us through it. And that's what God would say to every one of us today. Our God is able. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you that God is able. He is able to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by Him. God is able to make every grace abound. God is able to keep that which we commit unto Him against that day. We pray that someone who has heard this message today will just lean on the ability of God. Not on His own ability, but on the ability of the Lord. And we'll by that faith step out on Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. Two forty-nine, Number 249. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Find that song and then look this way for a moment, if you will, please. 249. There's some in this room today who have heard this message and you haven't really understood it because you haven't done the first thing, the very first thing. In order to understand the ability of God, you have to put your hand and your trust and your faith and your soul in His hands. And just come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have sin in my life. I have stains in my life. I'm sorry about my sins, and I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me and save me. Now, God doesn't do that just because you ask Him. See, God isn't some kind of a nice, wise Santa Claus standing up there, and He listens to you and says, what, what's, your, what's on your list? Well, I'll give you that. That isn't it at all. When you appeal to God for forgiveness and cleansing, He looks to Jesus, the cross, and He asks, are you willing to put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross? That's the whole thing. 
If you reject what Jesus did, there's no, there's no forgiveness, there's no cleansing, there's no ability of God in your life. But if you come to Christ and believe that what He did when He died on the cross, that His blood was sufficient, that He forgive you of your sins and your transgressions as you put your faith in Him and you come and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I want Him in my heart. Then listen, you not only get Jesus, but you get all the ability of God in your life. And God is able becomes the theme of your life because you're leaning upon Him. You're trusting Him. You see, most people are on this foundation right here. They're just standing here. They're just, just trusting whatever happens. Case or all, or all, that's the way it'll be. But not until you change foundations and you put your trust in Jesus and stand on Him. And say, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. I'm going to trust Him. And with Him, I am able, because He is able. And my foundation is Christ. When you do that, you change foundations. And Christ becomes to you the Savior and the Lord. And all that God is able to do, He's able to do for you, in you, through you, and with you. Will you trust Him today like that? While we begin to sing, is there somebody who will step out and say, I'm going to trust Christ. I'm going to put my faith in Him. If I died today, I would not go to heaven because I've never been saved but I want to be saved today. I want Christ in my heart. Or if God has spoken to you in some other way and you need to recommit your life to Christ or move your letter to this church, you do it. While we wait, while we pray, will you step out for Christ?